For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. You're listening to the MLS Multiplex Podcast with contributors from MLSMultiplex.com. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the MLS Multiplex Podcast. As usual, Drew here with Josh and Connor talking all things MLS during the MLS's back tournament. Um, but before we get into a episode full of talking about soccer, Connor, we'll start with you this week. How was your week, Connor? It was good. Just sort of chilling. Pretty decent weather again in Canada. Uh, I feel like I always bring up the weather for some reason. Uh, <laughs> hockey's back, and so is basketball. So I've been watching a lot of that, even though our hockey team or my hockey team kind of sucks um, or sucked last night as we're recording this. Hopefully they win against Columbus, but... We'll see. I'm not very optimistic. How have the Raptors been doing? The Raptors are killing it. Uh, they played, it was the Lakers two days ago, and they played Miami today, and they've won both so far. So they're playing really well. Fred Van Vliet had one hell of a game today, put on like 36 points. So shout out Fred. Shout out the Raps. They're like Toronto's only hope to bring home a championship at this point. Um, but... Hey, I'm happy. At least we have one. Josh, how are you doing? I'm I'm all right, but I gotta say, you know, because it's been so long since the Raptors <laughs> won a title for you guys, right? Yeah, it's gonna. It's been a very long time. It's been tough, very tough. I mean, you know, I guess technically they're still champions since I haven't even finished yet. That is a record. We're the longest whole, uh, standing <laughs> team. Like we've won the trophy for the longest period of time in the history of the NBA. So that. We that makes that. sense. <laughs> uh, I guess we can I probably, well, depending on when uh, MLS Cup happens, I'm sure Seattle fans will start to pull that one out and uh, hold that over everybody's heads. Yeah, that's if we have it this year, I guess. Yeah, but it's been a, it's been a pretty good week. It's yeah. been an all right week. Been a, another, another week in paradise for me. How about you, Drew? How are you doing? <laughs> Uh, I'm doing good. Like Connor said, hockey and basketball are back, but unfortunately for me and Josh, our Hawks are not in the NBA bubble, which is unfortunate, but that's cool. Uh, the Canucks, my favorite hockey team, much like Connor's Toronto Maple Leafs, put up a big goose egg. So that's not a good start, but we'll see how that goes. Um, but MLS, yeah, it's going good watching soccer and baseball. Um, MLS is winding down after NWSL has kind of already called it quits for their summer tournament so it's good seeing mls um closing down this competition it seems like after you know the nashville and dallas incidents it's felt like it's gone pretty smoothly with zero positive cases for a while now i don't know exactly how many days but it's been good getting a lot of watch really fun and good soccer um not only in mls but also abroad uh specifically christian pulisic has continued to tear it up with chelsea um, in the FA Cup final, he, uh, he scored. Unfortunately, it was a 2-1 loss to Arsenal for Chelsea. Um, but yeah, he played really well, scored the team's only goal. But the biggest concern, I think, for Chelsea fans and for U.S. men's national team fans that he came off injured in the second half. Uh, I think it was a hamstring. I don't know exactly what happened to him. But the biggest concern for Chelsea fans is that he could miss the team's Champions League round of 16 against Bayern Munich, which I think is Saturday. Um, I think Champions League is coming up pretty soon, and they're already down 3 nothing in aggregate. So it's not looking too good for Chelsea already, and then you're missing a big player like that. Um, not the best combination for Chelsea, but yeah, seeing him do good, as always, in Europe is awesome. But not only are Americans doing good in Europe, Connor, uh, Jonathan David is getting some headlines. What's going on with 
the next young Canadian star. Well, it's been rumored for a while. I think we brought it up a couple weeks ago that he was looking at, or he'd agreed to personal terms with Lille uh, in the Liga. And it came out the last couple days today that he, that move is apparently going to happen because Lille are going to submit the $30 million bid that it's going to take to get him away from Gank, uh, which we weren't really sure would happen. We thought that that deal might be dead in the water. Uh, but... Now he's going to end up on on in league uh, on Lille uh, with Timothy Weah, so we'll see what that duo can do. Uh, what do you guys think of this whole Timothy Weah is now back from injury after a year sort of situation? I am cautiously optimistic for him. I think that's the best way to describe it. Uh, you know, just like you mentioned, Connor, it feels like he's been out for a year with injuries after his transfer from PSG. Right before the last, well, I guess this season started technically since we're now finishing up this 2019-2020 season. But yeah, he's back with the first team and that's great and everything. I just hope that he figures out how to stay healthy. Polisic's got that hamstring injury and Weah's battled his injuries and Tyler Adams battled his injuries. So we joked about it at like a few podcasts ago, but it always seems like the American players are getting injured. Tim Weah, the worst of them all. So hopefully he figures it out. Luckily, he's really young, and he's got time to continue developing. But yeah, you know, and I, I want to see what he can do with Jonathan David. That would be really, really cool to see these CONCACAF young kids tearing it up. David's a teenager, right, Connor? Yeah, he's like 19, maybe 20. And I, th- I think Wea's the same age. Like He's either 19 or he's just turned 20 or about to turn 20. So if both those guys can play together if way can stay healthy and you know david brings over his awesome form from uh from belgium right or is yeah. it netherlands yes yeah, it's belgium right gank so they can bring that over and those two can create a fun pairing like that'd be really cool to watch these uh concacaf kids tearing it up in france yeah that's a it's a pretty exciting time to be a canadian international fan and a u.s men's national team fan of players coming from both MLS and just leagues abroad. I've been playing for really big clubs and representing their countries well. But coming back to MLS, uh, we have semifinalists. Uh, We know the final four. But before we get into those final four games, we had some pretty fun knockout rounds storylines, some pretty fun surprises. Um, Specifically, I was surprised by Cincinnati. Uh, I think Connor was like the only one in our MLS predictions thing that had any hope for Cincinnati. And somehow he was right. They took Portland to penalty kicks and honestly should have won that game if um, Lacadia didn't miss that sitter. So I was, I didn't have any expectations for Cincinnati. So good on you, Connor, for having that prediction, right? Um, but before we get into quarterfinals and semifinals, was there anything that stuck out to you guys from the earlier knockout round games? Well, I think, again, the Cincinnati thing is notable. Like nobody had them doing very well. Uh, I do think it is important to acknowledge the fact that their attack is very good. It's just their back line that's terrible. And luckily they were able to score enough goals to keep going through this tournament. Uh, whether or not that's sustainable is another story and another conversation to have. Um, but look, they're a team who did well in this tournament. And they pushed Portland to the limit. You know, They almost had a team that all of us thought we're going to do well, a team that's been very solid in this tournament. And I think it's just massive respect to them. Um, other things that I sort of found notable or like honorable mention sort of thing from the knockout rounds were was the LAFC Seattle game. I've, that game was very enjoyable. Uh, like the back and forth, the entire match was just constant high press, pressure, energy, I loved it. Um, it's like ideal soccer, especially for someone who's a casual, as there's constant action. Um, yeah, I thought that game was really good. Diego Rossi has continued to impress me. He's really exploded onto the scene. And Brian Rodriguez can fi- has finally scored in this tournament, uh, which he did in the group stage. So it's good to see him get onto the score sheet and make a little bit of noise because... He's someone who a lot of people have a lot of hope for and a lot of promise surrounding him. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Drew, uh, did you notice anything else before we get to Josh? 
Um, the only thing I noticed, I'm going to give some credit to Josh here because I think Josh tweeted out before the LAFC and Seattle game, he specifically mentioned Seattle center backs in that game and how they were going to get absolutely roasted. And he was 100% correct. Like all those goals were there was a deflection off one center back. Um, Avinga, I think, gave away a penalty and then just made an absolute bonehead mistake. And Diego Rossi took advantage of it. So credit to Josh for getting the Seattle center back pairing right. And they that was one of the worst performances. But credit to LAFC, they took advantage of their center back errors. I just want to throw out a real hot take right now that we can <laughs> we can we can, we need to remember this because it could very well come back to bite me but i think diego rossi is really overrated I, I, that is a very hot take I, wow i don't think i don't think that once he goes over to europe he's going to end up doing that well you know he just i don't know what it is when i when i'm watching him play and yeah he's got a lot of goals but like he scored four against LA Galaxy, and they're just terrible, and they totally quit on that game. And one of those was a penalty anyway. And I think he scored a penalty against Seattle. So I, I don't think – I mean, he didn't even really show up against Orlando City, and we, we'll get to that in a little bit. But I just want to get that out of the way. I think Diego Rossi is a bit overrated, and I don't think he's going to do that well in Europe once he gets over there. <laughs> but I do have a question for you guys going back to Cincinnati. I think we should acknowledge what Yopstam did after the first game against Columbus in which they got destroyed for nothing, right? He clearly saw that they could not go out and play the soccer they wanted to play because he's Dutch. He wants to play that 4-3-3. He wants to play the total football that's we so we associate so much with Netherlands. And clearly that wasn't going to work for the very reasons that Connor mentioned their backline is atrocious. Even if they have the attacking talent, right? It's not going to matter if they get stretched out. So you can tell that he looked at that and the team looked at that and they said, this is not sustainable, especially for a tournament, a knockout tournament. And they adjusted. They started to sit back. Even if they didn't really want to do it or even if it's horrible to watch, it's really hard on the eyes. It's not very pretty. But it got the job done. It got them the wins to get into the knockout round. And they really did put up a fight against Portland. I thought they were... They could have very well won that, and obviously they took them to penalties. So I want to ask you guys, we'll go with Drew first and then Connor. If you're Yopstam, do you, assuming we still play out these 18 games or whatever the league wants to do the rest of the season, do you try to play the style of soccer you want to play in the 4-3-3, the total football, or do you sit back and just defend, wait until the the preseason happens to get ready for next year? What, what, what would you do, Drew, if you were Yopstam? Um, yeah, that's a good question. And yeah, like you said, I think it's really impressive to note the adjustment that they made on the fly in these crazy circumstances. But I think I would personally stick with the sitting back and just soaking up pressure like they did later in the tournament. Um, yeah, I mean, again, I don't think FC Cincinnati has MLS Cup aspirations quite yet. Um, so I don't think they're gunning for a playoff spot or anything like that, assuming, again, that we have the rest of the 2020 season. So that's a good question, though. I think I would sit back, obviously, because it worked, I think, pretty well against Atlanta, Red Bulls, and should have gotten the win against Portland. Um, so if you beat Atlanta, Red Bulls, and Portland this little stretch, those are three pretty impressive teams to beat. Um, but I think there's a lot to build on in Cincinnati. This tournament, I think, went better than most people, maybe including themselves, thought it would go. Uh, so I would, personally, I would continue the sitting back, soaking up pressure method. I mean, then waiting to go into this 4-3-3 total football Dutch style, maybe getting some new players that maybe he thinks fit the system better, specifically defenders like you and Connor both mentioned about that back line. Um, but that's personally what I would do, but that is an interesting point and a good question. Connor, what would you do if you were managing Cincinnati? Well, I just pulled up their roster, and I looked at sort of the age range of their players, and their real stars are older. You know, you look at Sam DeYoung, he's 31. Um... I look at Yaya Kubo, he's 26, and Lokadia is 26 as well. And that isn't exactly spry anymore. They're sort of reaching them more, in the case of De Jong, end of his career. And in the case of Lokadia and Kubo, Lokadia probably won't even stay with them. And Kubo, he's, like, he's in his prime. And I think you need to take advantage of the fact that 
you're sort of in a transition phase when you look at the players that they have available. Um, apart from Madunian, Kendall Waston, and De Jong, I don't think they have any other players over 30. And if you want to build something that you can keep going in the future, you need to take advantage of what's around you and take advantage of the time that you have. And this season is so insane, you might as well just go structure with what you have. And I think I'd try to build a 4-3-3 if that's where you want to go in the future. If you want to play a defensive style, go for it. If you want to try to win a trophy, go for it. But right now, I think I'd try to build something for your youth and the youth talent that you have because you've got a lot of promise there. And if you can really instill your belief system and your setup and everything like that with your group, you might as well do it now during the middle of a pandemic where realistically, if we get through 10 games, I'll be shocked. So I'm in between you guys. Just looking at the standings, Cincinnati is currently eighth, and they're tied with Atlanta United for the seventh spot, for the cutoff spot. Now, this is subject to change because there's already reports that MLS is going to expand their playoffs just for this season to take nine from each conference, in which case Cincinnati is safe by two points. And there aren't really many many threatening teams behind them. You can probably make a good case for New England, NYCFC, and maybe Inter-Miami if they figure things out. But they're in a good spot. If I'm Yop Stom, I pick my opportunities to build out the total football style. If I'm going up, a te- going up against a team like Nashville or a team like Chicago or even a team like Montreal, a, like a team that doesn't want the ball in Montreal's case, then I, maybe I'm going to sit back in those games and I'm going to take my opportunity. Now, against the bigger teams, sit back as well. Going back to Nashville, Miami, D.C., Chicago, these lower teams, I, you know, maybe that's when you try out the 4-3-3. Maybe that's when you play the young kids, like you're saying, Connor, and start to really build on what this team has already done in this tournament and try to get to that total football scheme. That being said, talking about the roster, I think Cincinnati's only a few pieces away, only a couple pieces away from really having the team to compete well. And it really goes along with that back line. And you look at Madunian as well. He's really good in the attack, but in that six center defensive midfield role, he's he just can't defend whatsoever. And you you can't do that in this league where every team has at least a DP attacker or two. You just can't afford to have someone like that who just bleeds in the midfield for you. So I think... If they find the right pieces, they can go ahead and, and next season really jump into the the four through three total football system. For now, I think you pick and choose when you want to sit back and wait for your opportunities, or when you want to start building out the structure and just do your best to to do both and and pick the right times for those things. Because again, they're close to making the playoffs. They've put themselves in a good position with these couple of wins, um, especially with teams like. Nashville, who haven't won a game yet and haven't played a lot of games. Miami, who hasn't won a game. Atlanta United, who's just falling off right now. So they, they did well to start getting a head start. Now they just they need to continue that. So that that's pretty much my takeaway from those uh, couple of knockout round games. I kind of disagree with that Cincinnati take, only because when I did look at the standings, you know, Atlanta do, like, they are bringing in a couple of very good pieces in Jurgen Dom, and I forget the name of the 18-year-old. Uh, who they signed out of South America. Um, he, he'll be with the, the second division team, but they did just oh, get okay. uh, Kubo Torres, the oh, yeah, 27-year-old forward from League MX, so he, he'll probably play. Yeah, so like they do have talent there. You look at Inter-Miami, they're about to solidify their back line, uh, bringing LGP. So I think that's important to note. Um, Nashville doesn't worry me. New York City... They sort of found their groove a little bit in the game against Toronto, but in that next game, they looked pretty terrible. Um, I don't know. I think it's a really tough decision for them to make because they're sort of in this middle ground right now where we don't really know what they are and we don't know what they want to be. And it's ultimately going to come down to what they want their structure to be and what they want their 
entire future of the franchise to look like because last year they were terrible and this year they're at least competing a little bit if they go full in on developing this system i feel like they could potentially challenge like really challenge next season yeah but i think yeah depending if we get the rest of this season looking ahead to next season whatever the heck 2021 looks like um but for sure cincinnati has a lot to build on um, they surprised a lot of people, including myself, and I think a lot of other people, about how good they did. Um, but unfortunately, they're out of the tournament. So getting two teams that are still in the tournament, getting to the quarterfinals, uh, Philadelphia Union defeated Sporting Kansas City 3-1. to one. Uh, Specifically, Brendan Aronson played his mind off. He played incredibly well, I thought. Um, that assist for, I think it was the third goal, uh, Philadelphia's third goal, that ball, was absolutely incredible, but I think that was just the tip of the iceberg. I think he played so well in so many good areas. His hold-up play was ridiculous, um, really good passing. I think he even had a lot of pretty close shots that almost converted to goals, but that, I think, took the headlines uh, was Brendan Aronson's performance. Again, he's getting a lot of scouts from Europe. I know they have some Bundesliga teams looking at him and teams from other countries in Europe. Um, but Josh, I guess starting with you, what was your biggest takeaway from Philadelphia's three to one win? Yeah, and I touched on this on on Twitter a little bit during the game, and we talked about it last week a little bit too. But up until this game, I was disappointed in Philadelphia. I felt like they weren't playing up to their potential, especially with the way they looked before the league shut down. And this game, it really felt like they capitalized on their talent and their system. And you saw it from those two rapid fire goals. Think scored within like two minutes of each other in the first half, and it felt like once they got that second goal, right after the first one, there was no way Kansas City was going to come back from that, and of course they didn't. So for me, this is the Philly team I was expecting to see throughout the tournament, and I felt like what's been missing from them showed up in this game, and they can really take this momentum with them against Portland in the semis. So that was my biggest takeaway, and then I'll throw in just a small takeaway for me was Kansas City, you know, I just don't know what's going on with them. They have so much talent, and I think it's time to start worrying about the mentality of this team and just how much they struggled last year with injuries and blowing leads late in games and that sort of bled over into the season even with the additions of Gotti Kinda and re-adding Kyrie Shelton and adding Alan Polito. So I hope that Peter Vermees can get that team back on track because he's a great coach and they've always had really strong players, really good development of players, and I would just hate for them to sort of middle around in, in the middle of the table. So uh, you know, that for me was kind of surprising that they didn't play that well. Granted, Philadelphia brought their A game, I thought. So biggest takeaway was Philly finally showing up. Uh, what about you, Connor? Uh, Max Aronson knew those scouts were watching, first of all. Uh, that He was insane. Um, but my biggest takeaway was Alan Polito. You know, he came in with a lot of hype, but he hasn't done anything. Like, has this is this a signing where... It could be a potential failure. I know we're five games into it. I, I hold on. I wouldn't say that. I gotta stop you there. I, you're right. You're right. I would say that he hasn't lived up to his billing, and from the flashes he's shown so far, like he should have shown up in that game specifically. I wouldn't go as far to say that he might end up being a bust. And I think the issues with Kansas City are more so with their midfield and their backline as opposed to him individually. Although I, I see what you're saying, but I wouldn't start calling him a bust. Okay, well, what would you pin as the main issue then? Because obviously Busio is talented, considering he's being scouted by a ton of European teams. Where is that weak link on SKC? Is it the mentality, or do you think it's more of a structure thing? What's the issue there? Well, I think it's mentality, but also age. Like, the two main leaders on that team are Matt Beasler and Graham Zussi, and those guys are getting old. Their season, like, their career is going to end soon. Beasler wasn't even starting the last couple games, and he's been such a staple of their back line. He's been playing center back for them for, I think, a decade now. Zussi's joined the team at the same time with Beasler, and while Zussi did play in all these games for this tournament – how much longer is he going to hold off father time? So those guys have been such a core for Kansas City for so long, and you could throw in Roger Espinosa in there too. All three of those guys, Connor, you're probably looking it up right now, but those guys are well into their 30s. 
I don't know how much longer they can hang around. And speaking of Busio, he did not play well. He had those scouts watching him too, and he didn't do anything for Kansas City. And people keep talking about how he's got all this talent, and I felt like he showed flashes of it last season, earlier in the season, and the end of 2018. But I haven't really seen a lot from him lately. And soccer is a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately sort of thing. Sports is a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately kind of thing. So Busio is not living up to his billing right now. He was definitely in Brandon Aronson's shadow the other night during that game. But So for me, that's an issue. Busio's not developing correctly, and they're aging out their core. Yeah, I, looking at the roster now, and they have seven guys over 30, uh, and Bessler and Zeus are both 33. So that's really tailing off. I didn't realize how old those guys were. Um, Been around a long time. Clearly. <laughs> um, I've, I'm really torn on this team because it's a team where they did bring in Winston Reed, and he's a guy with some pedigree. Uh, he's solid in the back line. But it isn't enough. Well, he hasn't even played, I don't he think, hasn't? too, is another issue, right? I didn't even realize or he if he played. has, if he has, it's been very little. So what are they doing if they brought him over and they haven't really been playing him? So that's another issue in and of itself, too, to just pile on to these other small things. And as this continues to snowball, you got to start to wonder... I, I'm I'm getting nervous that SKC is going to want to blow this up because Peter Vermees is the longest tenured coach in MLS for a reason. He's a great coach. So I, I'm just afraid that I, they're not necessarily an organization to jump the gun on this sort of thing, so I don't really think it's going to happen. But he needs to do something. He needs to refresh his team. It's why you see managers like Pep Guardiola not last for more than a couple years because – Players get tired of hearing that message, and he never did enough with those teams, you know, Barcelona, Bayern, to refresh the team and ended up leaving. So I hope that Vermees figures it out quickly because, like I said, he's a great coach, great guy. He's done great things in the league, and but they they got to do something about these old dudes. I am going to simply state that they should blow it up when you look at their roster and how it's built. Uh, I didn't realize how old Tim Millie is. He's 34. And he's been diving and throwing his body around for a long time. So how long is he going to be able to last? Johnny Russell is 30. He's a key part of your attack, and I think you blow it up. Like, I know that's going to be tough when you look at you the fact that you just brought in Polito, who is 29, and you have this young kid in Busio who... If we're being honest, they'll probably sell in the very near future. I think you got to make some serious, serious moves if you're SKC. What do you think, Drew? Yeah, I think it's it's a weird situation because it feels like so many key players are on so many on very different sides of the spectrum in their career. You have a player like Busio who is very young and is looking like he's going to be an export, but... I mean, maybe you can use the money from that transfer, however much that's going to be. I know Fiorentina, I think, is the club that I keep seeing pop up with his name. Um, I haven't seen a transfer fee connected with him, but it's a European team, so I imagine there's a pretty penny for that. Um, but yeah, Matt Beesler and Graham Zussi, Tim Melia, those are all really good players that, again, yeah, they're all past 30, I think, as Connor said, so they've done their service in MLS. I think they've won an MLS Cup together. So, yeah, Peter Vermees is arguably probably the best coach in the league he's been around for a while i think i don't know if he's a gm as well with the club as well as a head coach or yeah he's in charge of all their player movement too okay so that'd be pretty so yeah he definitely has a lot of control in that club so yeah i mean again blowing it up seems hard because you have a player like busio but again i'm with josh i think especially in the philadelphia game he didn't play well i think he just lasted the first half um, and even then, he didn't get put in a good performance. He got kind of cooked on that second breakaway goal by Philadelphia. So it's it's a hard organization to think about because so many key players are on so many different sides of their careers. Like, you couldn't fathom blowing something up with a young talent like Lucio that has a lot of hype and expectations around him. But at the same time, when you have Johnny Russell, who is huge in your attack, um, on 30 or getting close to 30, it seems more reasonable. So... I think blowing it up is the best solution um, and using that money from a Busio transfer to get some new pieces and letting Peter Vermees kind of 
do what he wants because obviously he knows what he's doing. He's been around the league for a while. I think we might be using the wrong term and blowing it up. I don't think they're gonna should necessarily blow it up. They should retool. They should up the old pieces that are getting past their prime and bring in some new technology that might help a little bit. And maybe selling Busio is that will filler that allows you to bring in those pieces. But they do need to get younger, definitely. And the fact that they crashed out of this tournament in the way that they did, I think it's time for SKC to seriously take a look in the mirror. Um, let's move on to a team who came in with a lot of promise and then one that came in with absolutely no promise, if you're me. Orlando against LAFC. What did you guys think of that game? I I thought Orlando played LAFC off the pitch. I thought that the Lions should have scored more than just the one goal, and yeah, it took them until the second half stoppage to get that equalizer to force penalties, but yeah, I, I was just shocked at how much Orlando outplayed LAFC, and especially with the way LAFC performed against Seattle in the game before. They looked like a team on fire. They were pressing with such intensity that we just hadn't seen from them all tournament. And that's saying something for LAFC, a team that really relies on that counter-pressing. So their performance against Seattle was spectacular, probably one of the best of the tournament, honestly. And for them to just... And and you know what? I've seen some people throwing around that, oh, you know, LAFC was on shorter rest than Orlando. I don't, I don't care. I don't want to hear it, okay? That team is mostly young. You just got all these teenagers from South America this past offseason in Francisco Inela and Jose Cifuentes and Brian Rodriguez. So that's not an excuse. All right? That's just not an excuse. And Philadelphia is still running around with their high press, so you can't say it's the Orlando Heat and all this crap. Orlando played with a pretty good intensity on their own, and they're definitely an older team. So it was kind of disappointing, I think, on LAFC's win. Personally, my biggest takeaway is just how much better Orlando was. And I put it in the rundown, as you guys saw, but <laughs> LAFC didn't have a single shot in the first half. That's that's major props to Orlando. They did a good job of keeping the ball away, winning the ball back from, from LAFC whenever they lost the ball. So props to Orlando. They deserved to get through. Drew, what was your biggest takeaway from this game? Yeah, I'm kind of on the same page as you. I was very impressed by Orlando's performance. But I'm specifically thinking about Orlando's just this new culture that Oscar Perea has developed in Orlando. And I felt like Orlando was a better team, but when, um, I think it was around whenever um, Nani got that penalty kick and then it was saved and Diego Rossi came and scored. And then it felt like, I think it was like a couple minutes later, Diego Rossi looked like he had the clear second goal. Um, He missed it. He didn't put the chance away, but all of that happened in about 10 minutes. And then for Orlando to still muster up an equalizer late with a corner kick was really impressive. Um, I thought, you know, LAFC, they had chances to put away that 60-second minute. I thought that was going to be the final dagger. I thought Rossi was going to put it away, but they didn't put it away. And it's because he's overrated. Because he's overrated. Hey, That's a good hey, point, Josh. Put some respect on that first goal, by the way. That was BWP. That wasn't Rossi. But he, that is, he had the assist, so it's not like he was just hanging out. So... That That's was good played by Rossi, though. That's true. But BWP, you give him the ball, and he somehow puts it in the net every time. But, yeah, I mean, good team. When you don't put chances away, good teams make you pay for it. And to Orlando's credit, they, they made LAFC pay. Um, didn't Knicks have any expectations for Orlando coming to this tournament? Surely didn't pick in the beat LAFC. But LAFC had their chances, didn't put them away, and Orlando City made them pay like a good team does. And... Maybe they'll do in the semifinals. Uh, I'm surely not going to pick against them because they've surprised me up until this point. So, yeah, I was very surprised with how good Orlando did, holding the probably the best team in the league to no shots in the first half, which I think this was the first game they hadn't scored two goals anyway. So holding that good of an offense down to no shots in the first half is absolutely incredible, and they deserve all the credit in the world for that. Uh, Connor, what was your takeaway from Orlando's penalty kick win? Uh... I don't think you guys are giving LAFC enough credit. Uh, I think they pressured really, really well, especially in that second half. Uh, I think I missed most of the first half, so I might be might have missed Orlando crushing them then. But in the second half, I thought they played 
played pretty well, and they had a lot of really good chances that they just couldn't put away. And whether that comes with fatigue or whether that comes with inexperience, I don't know if this Diego Rossi Hill is the one you should be dying on, Drew. Uh, or Josh, sorry. I looked at Drew. I don't know why I said Josh. Ugh. Josh, um, yeah, I don't know. I think Diego Rossi's good. I think he'll do well in Europe. I think he's got the quality to do well in Europe. He's quick. He's got. He's good on the ball. He can finish, even though he missed a couple of chances late in that game. And against Seattle, too. Okay, but everybody's going to miss every once in a while. And when you compare the keepers that he had to face in that game, you know, Kenneth, Kenneth Vermeer had just has just come over from doing very well in the Eredivisie. And... Stefan Fry is the best keeper in MLS. I, I that might be a hot take, but he's the get best shot stopper in MLS. And yeah, yeah, he's the best goalkeeper. So, how much that had to play into it, who knows? Um, but I don't think you over just saying Diego Rossi is going to be crap in Europe. I don't know about that one. Uh, it would be very interesting to see, as you mentioned earlier, Drew Busio is linked to Fiorentina. And so is De Rossi. So seeing the two MLS kids on one team could be really cool. Uh, that would be very exciting. Um, but who knows? I don't know. I Orlando is impressive. You can't not give them credit. Uh, Moutinho's goal was a good goal. Uh, they beat them on the set piece. And that's something that LAFC are going to have to address. Um, how do you guys think Orlando playing in Orlando has played into their success at this tournament. I, you know, I think it's helped them a little bit. Like, obviously, there's an inherent advantage in playing in your backyard. That being said, you know, back to what Drew said about Pereja changing the culture there, that is the biggest thing that I think people are really observing right now. And it's just impossible to miss at this point. You know, not converting the penalty from arguably your best player in Nani and your captain, he wears the armband for them. Him not converting the penalty and then giving up a goal in five minutes, I think most teams in the league would just crumble from that point on out, especially against a team like LAFC. And they held their own and came back and fought until the very last possible second. So, and that's culture. That's what that is. If that was Atlanta out there, they would have given up like five more goals. If it was LA Galaxy, well, we already saw what happened with LA Galaxy against LAFC. So for Orlando to fight back, I think it's more culture than them being in Orlando. But I would, you know, I, I don't think anyone can sit here and say that there isn't an advantage. What do you think, Drew, about this tournament taking place in their backyard? Um, I I mean, I guess it's an advantage. I uh, don't think it's a massive one. Like you said, there's bigger, I think, contributions to this team being good for sure. But, I mean, they're in the bubble there. All these players know what it's like to play in hot weather. Um, they've all probably played in Orlando or something like that temperature. So I guess it doesn't hurt. Um, maybe you can point a little bit of the success to it. Maybe there's a little more comfortable factor because I don't think anyone's comfortable in this situation right now. So maybe playing in their backyard adds a little bit of a home feel to it. But, yeah, like you said, there's so much more going on in that club that is pointing to their success at this tournament. Um, I did want to ask you guys, because I have takes on it. Um, we're seeing going straight from 90 minutes to penalty kicks. We saw it with the NWSL, and now we're seeing it with MLS. And I think we've had four games in then penalties in this knockout round, four-ish games. Um, Connor, I'll start with you. What do you think about going straight from regular time to penalty kicks instead of the whole two extra time periods? With the schedule and with everything around how close the games are and the factor of the Orlando Heat. I have no issue with it. I understand why they're doing it. I think it makes sense. Um, they don't really have a choice. Like, if you had them... If you forced players to play 180 minutes or 120 minutes, uh, like, twice in four days, potentially, that's not feasible. That, like, players will get either injured or even worse will happen. And I just feel like they had no choice but to go to penalties. Josh, what do you think? Selfishly, I wish they went to extra time just because I want I want more soccer. Uh, that being said, 
I was already falling asleep during the Vancouver Sporting Kansas City game, for example, and I just happened to wake up in time for the penalties. So I can't imagine if there was another 30 minutes stacked onto that at the end because that game started at whatever, 1030, 11 o'clock at night here on the East Coast. So that's a, a big part of it too for those late games. I think it would just be brutal to add extra time onto that. And then, of course, like what Connor's saying, for them to have so many games in such a short amount of time, like adding that extra 30 minutes would just be super detrimental to the product in general. And all of that in mind, I don't know for sure. I'm trying to look it up right now, but I can't, I'm having trouble finding it. I assume the final will have extra time because I think it would be sort of a joke if the final didn't have extra time before penalties. What I want to know is if the semifinals will have extra time or if they're just going to go straight to penalties. Personally, I hope they do have extra time because, again, we're getting down to these final four teams who all look really good, who all have, I think, a very strong case to win this thing. And it would kind of suck if, you know, let's say a team could have figured out in those 30 minutes how to dominate and pull off the win. Yes, Connor, you found out. Yes, they're doing straight to penalties throughout the tournament, no matter what. Oh, no. No. All yeah. right, that's a that's a, a mega bummer for me. I, I wish that at least in the final they would they would go with the extra time because I think the Carabao Cup in England and maybe even some of the FA Cup matches they do straight to penalties until a certain point in the tournament and then they move to extra time. So I'm bummed that that's not happening. But Drew, what are your takes on this? I I'm very much on the side of Connor like I understand why they're doing it but it's like the designated hitter rule in baseball I get it but I hate it um I want 30 minutes yeah I don't like the designated hitter rule so at me on Twitter um it's like I I want 30 more minutes of soccer because I think the penalty shootout is just like a flip a coin see who wins thing um yeah I don't like it I understand it though because you have fitness but that is a good point, Josh, because I think maybe by the time the final, maybe that these fitness levels have risen. So maybe you could justify playing those 30 minutes. And again, like winning a championship in that way just seems like a mega bummer. And so, yeah, I get it. Um, I don't like it. I didn't like it in NBCL Cup. I don't like it in MLS's back, but I understand it. So, yeah, I think, I think it's been four games. Yeah. Connor. As a Toronto fan who watched the Toronto-Seattle final that went nil-nil and all the way down to penalties, what if that game didn't have extra time? Would that have would that have changed your perspective of that match? Well, I think Bradley probably wouldn't have missed his penalty uh, because he wouldn't have had legs that didn't work um, because of how exhausted he was. But I don't think it would have changed the result. I think it was going to end that way either way. Um, and it wouldn't have changed my perspective on it. Uh, they couldn't get it done in 180 or 120 minutes. I don't know why I keep saying 180 in 120 minutes. And that's just it. Um, if it's the situation like LAFC against Orlando, where LAFC were pretty close to breaking through, maybe that makes a difference, but I think going straight to penalties I don't really have that much of an issue with it. Yeah, so um, that was, yeah, that's a fun little take on it. I think we all would rather see 30 minutes, but we get it. Um, But a game that did not go to penalty kicks that were pretty set um, from the 90 minutes, Minnesota United beat San Jose 4-1. to They got to sing Wonderwall again. It's always the best part of my day, seeing that video on my Twitter timeline. Um, But Minnesota looked really good. They're... Very impressive. After beating Columbus, they were able to repeat another great performance. Uh, Josh, start with you and get this ball rolling. What did you think about Minnesota's 4-1 to win over the Earthquakes? Yeah, my biggest takeaway from this match, and it sort of rolled over from the match against Columbus, is just how well Minnesota's been able to neutralize the best aspects of the other team. We saw it against Columbus where they took away Darlington Nagby. They just totally took him out of the equation. And then we saw it against San Jose as well where they just they beat the man marking system. They beat it well and they took care of their their chances when they when they had them. So Minnesota are looking really really good. I am excited to see them play Orlando because these are two teams that are pretty much on fire right now. Both looking great. I think it's kind of hard to point out any real weaknesses between the two teams. 
So my biggest takeaway is just Minnesota's done such a fantastic job of taking away the best part of the other team, which is something I do want to talk about when we get to our little semifinal preview. But yeah, that's 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 definitely my biggest thing. What about you, Connor? Ethan Finley is legit. He has surprised me beyond belief this tournament. He's been so good. Um, coming into this MLS's back stuff, I didn't have Minnesota or Orlando doing well. And to see them, one of them going on to the final is shocking to me. But Minnesota, have like, after selling Darwin Quintero, or giving away, I can't remember if they sold or gave away him, but they've looked good. And maybe it was an issue in terms of Quintero didn't fit the locker room. Uh, it was maybe a cultural thing. But I think Minnesota could make some serious news or moves. Um, I like them. I think they are talented. I like how they're able to neutralize those threats. I like how they're also talented up front. I also like that they have a Canadian in Raheem Edwards. Um, yeah, I don't really know what else I have to add. San Jose just sort of got beat, and the better team won that game. Drew, what did you sort of think about that match? Yeah, I think the same way you feel about Ethan Finley is how I feel about Hassani Dotson. He played extremely well, I thought, in that game. I think he ended with one assist, but then he had, like, he sent in a couple really good passes that led to goals off corner kicks. Um, And also Minnesota's ability on set pieces. I think they scored two goals from set pieces, and they've scored, I think Taylor Twelman said, like, six or seven goals off set pieces this tournament. They've done a really good job or six or seven goals in the entire 2020 season, going back to those first couple games. But I think the biggest thing was Minnesota's ability to change the way they played between Columbus and this game. I thought those were two very different types of way playing. And I think in a knockout tournament like this, that's very big. Um, Adrian Heath's ability to totally get his players to buy in, to seemingly just totally flip the script and change the way they're playing on the fly in these crazy conditions speaks a lot to how good of a coach he is. Um, So I was just very impressed by how different Minnesota played against San Jose, which has been scoring, you know, four, three goals a game, and they were able to shut them down and slip four past, and they out San Jose San Jose. So I was very impressed with his ability as a manager to kind of flip the script um, on such short and weird circumstances. Uh, Josh, what you got? Two things. One, definitely agree with you that Hassani Dotson is legit. I just picked him up in my FIFA career mode. I'm coaching Leeds United, so I, I knew I had to get him. He's going to be great for me. <laughs> and then the second thing is uh, I threw this in the rundown, and I wanted to ask you guys, but on the other side of things, San Jose, we've seen them sort of run into walls. It happened last season sort of down the stretch. Do you guys think this is a system issue? Do you think this is an issue with the man marking? Or do you think they just don't have the proper talent? And I have a thought on this. And I saw some people really sort of debating this on Twitter. I'll start with you, Connor. What do you think? Do you think it's a system issue or a talent issue? If I'm correct, I believe they brought in a new manager this offseason, correct? Last offseason. Last offseason. Okay, so the fact that it's a new manager isn't a uh, factor in all of this. I'm not really sure. It's They don't really have very many big names. You know, they have Vaco, but apart from that, there's not really anyone else there. Maybe Erickson, if you want to include him. But they're both not huge talent, so I think that probably plays a massive factor in it. I don't know if it's necessarily the system. Um, their manager is clearly very good. I should know uh, after his team beat us in Champions League final. But... Look, I think I think Seattle's adapting in the same way that SKC are adapting. They're sort of in this middle position where they're competing, but they're still getting used to everything that they're doing. And I think that was just the case in this match where Minnesota were better managed and had a real idea of what they wanted to do coming into this, whereas SKC were sort of wishy-washy on what, the game plan was and how to actually do stuff, I guess. That was a terrible explanation, but I think you sort of get what I mean. What about you, Drew? Do you think it's a talent issue with San Jose or a system issue? 
Um, I was all ready to say it was a system issue until Connor mentioned the players thing, and that's a really good point. I think I hate to be that guy that says it's a little bit of both, but I think it's a little bit of both. That I feel like the system is asking so much of your players, and when it works, when it's a lot of 50-50 duels, and if they win those 50-50 duels, it's wonderful. It's entertaining to watch. You're winning games 5-2, 4-1, but... If the duels don't work, um, then you have situations where you're losing four to one, you're losing five to two. So it's really entertaining to watch. I kind of hope they stick with it just because I want to see more six two games. Um, but I think it's a lot to ask from your players to play this way. And if it works, it's wonderful. If it doesn't work, it blows up in your face. Um, I do think there needs to be kind of going back to Minnesota United's ability to adapt their tactics. There needs to be more of that in San Jose. I feel like it's too much set on this main marking scheme, and when it doesn't work out for the first 30 minutes or however long, I don't know if they have a way to switch um, to get a result out of it. And especially in MLS, especially when you have MLS Cup where it's looking like this one-game knockout round is going to stick around at least for another year. I don't know if it's permanent or not. But you have one bad performance in a knockout round game, whether it be in U.S. Open Cup or MLS Cup. And then you're just you blew out of the tournament. So Connor does make in a good point, and I wasn't ready to think that way about players. But I think a lot of it can be how much you're asking of the players, and maybe just this team isn't ready to do that. So maybe an offseason signing more players um, could help the system work a little bit better. I just think it's a lot to ask of your team to do that for 90 minutes game in game out, especially when you got you're going from playing at home on a Saturday and you got to fly to Atlanta on a Wednesday or something like that in this league. Uh, So I don't, I think it's a little bit of both. I hate being that guy, but I think that's the case. Josh, what do you think about it? So I was prepared to just look at it from a talent standpoint and say that was the main issue. But I do think you guys, you bring up some really good points, Drew, in saying that it's a lot to ask. I think you're right. The system is very high energy and, and you're definitely correct about all the 50 50 duels that they have to win all over the pitch and i also think you bring up a really good point when you mention that if it's not working they don't really have anything else to fall back on and that's very very true i mean almeida is so gung-ho about the man marking scheme which is extremely entertaining and i do love watching it just like you but i i will say i think first he needs to get the players he wants because they only added like i think two players they brought in Christian Espinosa on uh, on a permanent deal from loan, and then they picked up um, Alanis, I, th- I think is his name, uh, the center back. So that was like the only guy they picked up this season. And, you, I mean, Connor, you're right. There aren't really any big names on this team. I personally, I think the biggest name is Wando, and he's not going to carry this team on his back. He's definitely too old for that. So they, they I think if Almeida is given the talent he wants from the front office – then we can go ahead and wait and see how he does with the players he wants. Now, if, if then it's still not working and they still run into a wall after he gets the players he, he wants, if that happens, then I think we can start to ask questions of the system and say, yeah, you know, maybe the man marking thing isn't working or maybe they need something else in their wheelhouse to, to help them out of situations. So definitely something to think about and something to look for with San Jose. But we'll move on to the final quarterfinal game. It was Portland against uh, New York City FC. Timbers... Pulled it out, 3-1 win, scored three unanswered goals. Diego Valeri scored off the vent, off the bench. Andy Polo scored off the bench. Uh, Sebastian Blanco with a great goal as well. All three of Portland's goals were just fantastic. And then uh, Jesus Medina scored again for New York City FC, although it was a penalty. Connor, what was your biggest takeaway from Timbers beating NYCFC 3-1? That Polo goal was disgusting. Uh what a shot. I When he went up to shoot that, I thought he was insane. I didn't think he stood a chance. And then he did that. Um, so, wow. Uh, I didn't know he had that in his locker, considering I didn't even know who he was up until that goal. Um, but the biggest thing I took away was how successful they were bringing Valeri off the bench. Valeri is a seriously talented player. And... To have the ability to bring him on for 30 minutes where he can just go 100% for those 30 minutes, that's a really, really good option and something that Portland are going to just incredibly capitalize on for the future of this club. You know, Blanco 
is Blanco. He's incredible either way. Um, he's always talented. He knows what he's doing. Both the Charas are good. Um, and to be able to bring in Valeria as an offensive threat late in matches, I think that's the biggest thing that they need to take away from this tournament because of it has been so successful. So let me ask you, do you start Valeria on the bench for this match against Philadelphia and bring him on again as a super sub, or do you start him? With how successful it was against New York City, I think you start him on the bench. I think it just suits him a lot better. Okay, okay. Drew, what was your biggest takeaway from this game? Um, Yeah, kind of going relating to Connor, but this competition, I think, this was a very... Portland Timbers game they didn't have a majority of possession I think it was 61 to 39 in favor of Philadelphia but Portland loves playing that way they don't want the ball and it works um, specifically their big players came to play in this game like you look at the score sheet it was Blanco it was Diego Valeri and when we talked about players to look for for the Timbers those are two names that pop up because it seems like whenever Portland's winning it's those two guys at the center of it these guys I know Valeri won MLS Cup with him in 2015. I think they were both together in that 2018 MLS Cup run. So these guys know how to win these competitions. Um, And when you're in these things, you need your big players to come up big. And they did just that, scoring goals. Then you have Polo pulling that out of nowhere. But it kind of just solidified for me that Portland is a legit shot to win this thing. Um, I've been skeptical about the whole tournament, but this was very much... 2015, 2018, Portland Timbers-y, you can have the ball, but we're going to get you on the counter. Um, I do think it's interesting about Valeri's position as maybe keeping as a sub, specifically about Philly's press, which we'll get into later. Um, He's one of the best players in the league, we know this, so to have him on the bench is not too bad of an idea, having him go 100% for 30 minutes. Um, Yeah, I was just impressed that this was very typical Portland Timbers championship level soccer and again like all these teams like we said they make a really strong case to win this thing uh Josh what did you think about Portland's win my biggest takeaway from from Portland and this is sort of a culmination of all their games so far in the tournament but their evolution from how they've played the last couple years under Sabaresi now you know Drew's right they didn't have a lot of the ball. They never really won a lot of the ball. But when they do have the ball, it's what they're they're doing now in possession. Whereas last year it was put it out on the wing, cross it in aimlessly, hope something happens. Now you're seeing a lot more combination play in the final third. You're seeing guys work to get to the end line and pull back a ball for an easy shot on goal. It's, it's exactly what happened in the Blanco goal in that first one, and it factored into the Valeri goal right in front of the the net as well. So I think we're seeing a really big evolution from Portland that's made them sort of level up. Now, I don't know if putting Valeri on the bench against Philadelphia is a good idea. And the reason why is NYCFC and Philadelphia Union are just completely different teams in style, in where they're at as a club right now. Philadelphia is a club that has had the same coach for the last few years. There's a culture established. They've embraced this pressing style over the last um, year and a half, and they've they've really owned up that style of pressing, high pressing especially. NYCFC are still a team sort of in transition. They seem to finally get things going together at the, the final group stage game, whereas they really struggled early on. They struggled early this season, so I think... Portland is going to have a tougher time against Philadelphia, which is why I personally would lean towards starting Valeri. I think you need a player of his caliber because look at what Philadelphia did to Sporting Kansas City. They scored those two goals in two minutes in the first half. If that happens, I don't know if bringing Valeri off the bench for the last 30 minutes is going to be enough. It was enough against NYCFC, but again, two totally different teams because of how high energy Philadelphia is. I don't know if Portland can necessarily pull that off. But speaking of Portland, we'll get into these uh, semifinal games. This will be the last thing we talk about. Wednesday is going to be Philadelphia versus Portland. Thursday is going to be Orlando versus Minnesota. I picked Portland to win this whole tournament going back to our prediction podcast back on June 30th. I wasn't feeling good about it then. I'm feeling pretty good about it now. I also got Philadelphia right for the final four. 
Drew got no teams right for the Final Four. Granted, he did pick Dallas, and that was before we knew that they were withdrawn from the tournament. And then Connor also had uh, Portland going through in the Final Four. I think all three of us had TFC winning the whole thing. We had Toronto winning, so we're definitely super... All in the final, for sure. Yeah, we yeah. definitely got those wrong. So <laughs> that that's that's not so good. And uh, Connor and I did pretty well on these quarterfinals. We got five out of the final eight correct, and then Drew still managed to get three out of eight, which is not bad. It's not bad for MLS, and especially in a knockout tournament. But let's talk about this Philadelphia-Portland game real quick. I put down, can Portland beat Philly's press? And I was just sort of talking about it. Uh Give me a score prediction, both of you guys, and then just why you think it's going to go that way. We'll start with you, Connor. Uh, with this Portland-Philly game, I think Valeria's going to start on the bench and going to come on be, come on at the 45th minute. Uh, he's going to come on at half because he is 34 years old, and I don't know if he can do that hard press for, 40, for the entire match, and I think they'll probably want him in the event this match goes to penalties potentially. It's the only reason I don't have him starting. I think Portland will pull it out. I think that they'll end up winning. I think it's going to be high scoring. Uh, And my guess, 3-2 is how it ends. What about you, Drew? I'm on the same, kind of the same page as Connor. I am picking Portland to win it. I go back and forth whether or not Valeri is going to start on the bench. I do think Valeri is going to get a goal. I think Valeri is going to get a goal. I think Inabobasi is going to get a goal, finally, after he missed two good chances last game. So I am going to say 2-1 to one, Portland wins. Josh, what's your prediction? I am with you guys. I think it's going to be high scoring. I think it's going to end up being a draw, a 2-2 draw, because I think Philadelphia has the ability to score those rapid goals. But I think Portland's got the the veteran players. And, you know, we haven't even talked about Jeremy Obobese. He's another player that has been great for them in this tournament. Um, so I'm going to have them as a 2-2 draw. I think Portland pulls it out in penalties. Uh, but I do think it's going to be a really good game. Now, looking at Orlando versus Minnesota, upon first glance at this, I don't know how to pick who's going to win this because, again, these are two teams that it kind of seems like, uh, was it an immovable for or a I can't remember unstoppable force meets an immovable object that's the phrase I'm thinking of that's kind of how this feels and you can pick which one is the unstoppable force and which one is the immovable object because I think you could make a case for either one I did put this question down as we were talking about it and I was talking about it earlier but Minnesota so far has been able to neutralize the other team's biggest threat talked about it with Columbus talked about it with San Jose when I look at this Orlando team I don't really see a stylistic weakness because their culture and their fight and their will is so strong. So I think the question in this match, and we don't necessarily have to answer it, but I think the question is how does Minnesota stop Orlando's new team culture? That's going to be the really big thing because I don't necessarily think Orlando has a super clear playing style yet, but they've just proven time and time again that they will fight as a team. And I'm not sure if Minnesota's going to be able to stop that. That being said... Score predictions. Drew, we'll start with you this time. Who do you think is going to win, and what do you think the score is going to be? Yeah, so I think you're making a good point. Orlando, no one really knows how they play, but I think Adrian Heath is going to go. He's going to see 45 minutes for Orlando City. He's going to make an adjustment on the fly, and Minnesota is going to win 2 to nothing, and they will sing Wonderwall one more, at least one more time. I'm telling you, that's the best part of Major League Soccer traditions is them singing Wonderwall. So 2 nothing win for the Loons. Connor, what's your prediction? Uh, if Wonderwall is the best thing of an, in MLS, MLS is... It's the coolest MLS thing. is Nothing's not in a good spot it, then. That stadium singing Wonderwall... With that loon mascot, man, uh, can't get any better. Why do we have to be such a boring league? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it, we're not. A it's loon, not. that's so the cool. The whole league is, and Drew's just being that's dramatic. True. Yeah, he is kind of being a little bit dramatic, but yeah. coming from me, <laughs> uh, I can't call anyone dramatic on this podcast. So my predictions, I'm going to go nil-nil. And I think Ar- You're calling the league boring, and you pick a nil-nil draw in the semifinal. Well, is that not the most boring outcome? That's true. Uh, 
That has nothing to do with it. I just think that these two teams have absolutely no one who can score. Maybe Finley gets one and it ends like one nothing. I don't think Nani's going to have much of an impact. I'm going nil-nil on Pens, and I think Orlando takes it. All right. I am super torn on this. I think there will be some goals, but I think it's going to be a 1-1 draw in this one as well. And I uh, I just really don't know... You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna pick Minnesota because their penalty shootout. Wait, did they have one recently? I am blanking on. Yeah, yeah, against um, uh, Columbus, they looked great in their penalties against Columbus. They were all super clinical. So I'm gonna pick Minnesota in penalties to come out on top. I just think that the the way they were taking those penalty kicks, they looked super professional. And not almost as if they had practiced them. So that's going to be my uh, prediction for that one. One one draw. Minnesota comes out on top. All right. I think those are a couple of very hot takes. Uh, if you're a betting person, I'd say in the first game, take Philadelphia because we've been wrong on every single match so far. Um, and in the second one, flip a coin because <laughs> we're all probably going to be wrong and it's going to be some sort of massive massacre. Uh, where Phil, not Philadelphia, where Orlando or Minnesota are just going to run away with it. Um, we have been going for a while, but I do have one question that I think we should answer very quickly. Why have all the best teams been eliminated? I will just go ahead and say that it's because it's MLS <laughs> and because it's a tournament. I mean, honestly, like you listen, you look at the World Cup. You like no one had Croatia go into the final. You look at Euro 2004, long time ago when Greece went all the way to the final and I think won the whole thing. You know, at the end of the day, it's a knockout tournament. Weird things are going to happen, and I think that you look at a team like Minnesota and a team like Orlando that they pick up steam as they're going along, right? They can you can feel these teams gaining momentum. And that's a that's one hell of an advantage when it comes down to the end in a knockout tournament. So. I think being MLS is just chaotic enough. It's already a league of parody, and then you throw it into a knockout tournament, and this is exactly what you get. All right. Well, Drew, you can take us out. Yeah. So, again, thanks for listening. We have been going on for a while. Uh, again, as always, please go to MLSMultiplex.com. Uh, still cranking out really good articles as this tournament winds down. We get ready um, for other soccer in the future, whether or not, whether or not that comes. Uh, but, yeah, again, please visit the website, MLSMultiplex.com. Uh, be sure to follow us on social media um, and the website on social media at MLS Multiplex, myself at underscore Drew Hubbard, Josh at Josh underscore Boland, and Connor at CWG Somerville. Um, check out all of our tweets during the games and all of our hot takes as matches go on. Um, so, yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, be sure to watch the next games coming up in the next couple days, and we will see you guys again next week. Thank you for listening to the MLS Multiplex podcast. Check out all of the contributors' written work at MLSMultiplex.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.